0: Manhead Head Baptist Church sermon podcast for Sunday the 17th of September 2023. Hello and welcome. Thank you once again for joining me. My name's James and I'm web guy here at MBC. This week we continued our series looking at 1 Thessalonians. And Paul was looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and he was looking at helping the baby grow up. So we're going to join Paul as he's introducing the service on a very wet Sunday.
1: Good morning everyone. Good morning, good morning lovely to see you, a bit of an echo here Roy, just to let you know, I'm not sure if that's just me. It's lovely to be with you and it's lovely to spend time with you worshipping our amazing Lord on this most awesome sunny Sunday. (laughs) I say that mindful of the fact that that's my way of saying to you, if you see someone come through the service with a broom it's just because we're having to sweep out the lobby area every now and then. Because the water seems to be sort of coming in under the door somewhere. So, so uh, you're really welcome in out of the, the wet. It's coming down at steroids. So uh, in terms of going home, I know that some folk look a bit short this morning, probably because of the weather. But if, in terms of going home, we have arranged for the ark to be outside at 12.15, <laughs> if, if that's all right for everyone. It's amazing to be with you and amazing just to take some time with you uh, notices for the week, you would have received the notices in electronic form or some of you will have had the notices in paper form. They're at the entrances uh, if you want to pick one up after the service. You should have also received or picked up or be able to pick up a little flyer about harvest. Harvest is actually two, three weeks, two weeks today on, on Sunday the 1st of October And on Monday, the 2nd of October, at 7 o'clock, we're having a harvest supper. There's a little flower about it for you to take it home. Uh, A two-course meal followed by an auction. We've had that before. It was such great fun. The suggested donation to cover the cost of the meal is £5. But all monies that we raise at the auction and all monies that you give for your meal after the cost of the meal has been taken out are going to go this year to Mission Aviation Fellowship. Wonderful cause you do such good work throughout the world, but places are limited to seventy people because that 's as many as we can get in a hall, in the hall. So not only are you going to be able to take one of these home, but out in the lobby area you're, on your way to coffee you 'll also discover a sign up sheet. So can you sign up as soon as possible so that we know you're coming? And specifically, can you let us know if you 're vegetarian or if you need a gluten-free diet, etc? We want to cater for everybody, but we do need to know in order to be able to do that. it 's also an amazing privilege at, at times as a pastor of a church to recognize those times in life which are kind of seminal, they 're defining happy birthday, Kaylee, being my point for today, Kaylee is 18 today. <laughs> And it's lovely to be able to celebrate with that, with you, your, you as your church family, Kaylee. Um, <laughs> I don't know what Mark's amusing you with, making you laugh with, but, but it's okay now to answer back because you are eight. No, no, no. <laughs> Sorry. Tax, national insurance. Yeah, those wonderful words. And in case you wonder what that is, Mark just said tax, national insurance. Well done for making this eighteenth birthday so bright for her, Mark. <laughs> It's a lovely, just a lovely space to be able to share with you. It's wonderful, and it'll be good to sing happy birthday to you, of course. Happy birthday to you,
0: happy
1: birthday to you, happy birthday dear Kaylee, happy birthday to Now, Kaylee has told me that in order for all of us to celebrate her birthday, she's arranged for there to be tea and coffee after the service in the hall for us to go and just share some fellowship together. So if you see Kaylee later on, say happy birthday and make her smile even wider. She's going to teach us all how to be adults. To to be adults. I need lots of practice. Do you know, sometimes you come across those things in uh, Scripture and you go, yeah, that's perfect for the now. And I don't know about you, but despite the weather this morning in my heart, I want to come and worship the Lord. Nothing is going to stop me this morning worshiping my Lord. And nothing's going to dampen my expectation that he will be here, show up and do his thing. And if that doesn't make sense to you, I apologize. That's just what's been on my heart today. And as I came today, thinking about today, I came across this passage in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10, actually, 12 to 13, says this. And now, O oh Israel, perhaps we could put Dear here, Baptist Church in it, close the brackets. What does the Lord, your God, ask of you but to fear the Lord, your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today For your own good. They're awesome words. They remind us that the Lord today requires us to simply love him and love each other. And they're awesome because they tell us in the midst of our gathering, the Lord is here. Let's bring ourselves before him in prayer. Father God, I thank you for the reality that you are who you say you are. And that you are here. Have your way among us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I forgot one notice, just to let you know, it's nearly Christmas, did you know? And and the ladies in the... Oh, no. And the ladies that gather for our craft sessions were making some Christmas... Well, they're snowmen. Can we go on the next slide? So you can see they've been gathering and they've been making snowmen. As I... As I understand it, they're for the Christmas fair at the Hub this year, which is the second Saturday in December. I think it's the 9th. And there's one more slide. There we go. Uh, they're being made for them. So if you want to buy a Christmas snowman, then book early. Uh, and for all the children, I think, I, honestly, it's, it is a long time to Christmas. It's 90-plus days, trust me. But it's just lovely to gather and praise the Lord together. Apologies, I forgot that notice. Lorraine, we're going to worship the Lord.
2: Good morning, Good to be here, and we'd like to welcome Nadine singing with us for the first time. Thank you, thank you, and, and it, it, thank you. it's great that we are also neighbours, which um, which came as a surprise to me, which is lovely. Um, just as we go to worship, I, I'd like to read some verses from Psalm 36. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens; your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the great deep. O Lord, you preserve both man and beast. How priceless is your unfailing love, both high and low among men. Find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. So I wonder if we could stand as we sing this great uh, Wesley hymn. And can it be? And if we could have the offering during the hymn, that would be great. Okay. No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus, and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown. Through Christ, my own.
0: hope you're not all too wet. (laughs) It's been an exciting morning already, hasn't it? And uh, now we're going to come and approach our Heavenly Father and ask him to intercede for us and for the world, really. So we come. We want to ask you to pray. We're going to pray. The Lord has given us this scripture, which is very precious. And so we say, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their lands. Father, you gave us creation to enjoy and care for, and we have not done so, and we are sorry, Lord. We bring some of the events of the past week to you. People are still affected by the results of 9-11. 20 years ago, the sadness of the Twin Towers going down. (coughs) Many of us remember where we were at that time. We ask, Lord, that you will continue to bring healing and forgiveness. For those 2,996 victims, Lord, we bring them again to you and ask, Father, for their families, Lord, that you will bless the families, that you will help them to grieve and mourn, even though it was so long ago. We pray for the 2,500 killed and the hundreds injured in the Morocco earthquake. Thank you for the teams of dedicated people who have already gone in to help, to give hands and, and love and care to these people. Then we have the terrible scenes we have seen of the devastation in Libya caused by the typhoon and the two dams (coughs) breaking. All those dear people, Lord, in terrible trouble, facing disease, lack of water and shelter, the difficulties of getting to them, and there may be still people alive in the rubble, Father. Lord, we know that you are a God who is rich in mercy. And although this country, Libya, is number five on the watch list, Father, you still care for them, you still love them, Father. So we cry out to you for help, Father, for open doors to know you're leading and guiding in this situation. We ask, Lord, that the gospel of Jesus will go forth in that place, Lord, even though... Those people are in such terrible difficulties, Father. Israel is celebrating their new year, Rosh Hashanah, the biblical biblical Feast of Trumpets, which began last Friday and finishes at sunset today. Great celebrations going on, Lord. They will blow a hundred blasts on the shofar, The Israeli Defence Force will be out protecting the land you gave them. We ask that Israelis would find freedom, not only from the spirit of worldliness, but also from the spirit of extreme Islamic oppression, that they might have a sweet and fruitful year ahead. And, Father, to ask that is such an impossible thing because they have such trouble there, such enemies at their door, Father. But Lord, even so, the Messianic Jews there, Father, they could have a sweet and fruitful year, seeing souls saved, Father God. Father, we ask protection over the government, over the people in power in Israel today, Father. The word has gone out that there may be an attempt on someone's life, Father. So we ask, Lord, in your mercy, that you will protect your people, Father. And then, Father, we come to bring the church to you, the girls' brigade, as they start again. Your word says, suffer the little children to come unto me. May the girls and the volunteers have a happy time together. May the volunteers keep well and have wisdom and understanding. It's a difficult time for children. They're learning things that they should not be learning, Father, But we pray that your hand will be upon the girls' brigade, on the work, on the children now as they meet together, Father, and that you'll bless, you'll just bless, Father. We bring Terry to you, Peggy, Joan, Hazel, Shirley, and Tricia's friend, Margaret, whom we have been asked to pray for on the prayer chain (coughs) We thank you, Lord, that Mary Smart is in church this morning, Father. We ask you to bless her, Lord, as she meets with us again, Father, and that you would heal her, Father, and give her strength to overcome, Lord. And for all the other needs that are in the church family today, we lay them at your feet, Lord, for you are a merciful, loving God. You have said already that nothing will separate us from the love of God. We bring the waiting lists in the NHS the food banks and the Christians Against Poverty, the school pastors as we start again, the pressure on the co-op in Alcombe and all the shops. Father, you know we have so much need for our loved ones, our neighbours, minehead and the world. Father, what shall we do? We ask this question in humility, with a listening ear and a willingness to change, knowing that you are forever faithful, you are forever loving, you care, Father God. So we bring this church to you, this church family, wherever they are today. We ask that you protect them from the water, Lord. And Father, give them strength to overcome today in whatever difficulties they are meeting, Father. Most of all, we just want to thank you for loving and for caring for us for drawing us here this morning. So good to be with the church family, Father. Bless us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
2: Thank you, Wendy. Feel feel free to sit or stand as we we sing our our next song. I I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind because I know there is peace within your presence So Father, here today we pray for a release of your Spirit. Father, we pray for a release of those who are carrying burdens of anxiety and depression, burdens of ill health and sadness. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you would come and heal and restore. We pray that you would release in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, that people would go from here with cloud lifted, knowing that they have met with you. Jesus, have your way. Jesus, oh Jesus. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Should we just pray for Paul as he brings the word? So, Father, we thank you for Paul. Lord, we pray you're anointed on him as he brings your words. Lord, would you speak through him and guide, guide his words. And Father, help us to be receptive to what you are saying. And Father, help us to be doers of your word. In Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Thank you for the prayer, Lorraine. I have uh, another notice to give you. It seems like today's a day of notices, but you just need to know this is for the ladies. The, uh, the ladies' toilets have flooded. Um, Oh, it's all about water. The ark will be outside at 12.15. You think I'm joking, but <laughs> but in reality. Um, can I ask all the ladies to use the disabled toilet, please? Is that okay? Gentlemen, please do not use the disabled toilet. That being the flip side of that. Unfortunately, the ladies are flooded and we're having to deal with that. That's a, a thing to start a sermon with, isn't it? particularly as we have been worshipping, this prayer has been on my heart. So I'm going to pray it over myself and I invite you to join with me in this prayer. Father God, I pray this morning that I will just speak the name of Jesus over every heart and mind, over every stronghold and pray that he will be the one that breaks chains that bind. That brings light into the darkness. And pray that he will breathe new life into all that is dead and decaying. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you get to the end of the sermon and you've done that, hallelujah, hey? We're going to look. Uh, continue to look at those studies in Thessalonia, Thessalonians. And I've uh, forgotten my... The clicker so I'm going to nod at Stephen is that okay when we need to change Stephen I hope that's all right that's more about my forgetfulness than anything else and we're going to continue to look at that and look at the letter and what's important if we want to look at the letter is that we understand a little bit about what's happening to this group of Christians in Thessalonica or Thessalonica if you prefer that version and a bit about the city itself now Thessalonica was the largest city. It was about 200,000 people in the Roman province of Macedonia. And yes, that is where modern-day Macedonia is. It was truly an important city because it was on a trading route. And the trading route it was on was probably the most important trading route throughout the whole Roman Empire. It was called the Ignatian Way. And it, it reached from Rome all the way to the Orient. Right in the middle of that trading route was Thessalonica and the highway that ran through it together with the fact that it's got a thriving em- uh, harbour made this one of the healthiest and wealthiest and most flourishing trade centres of the whole Roman Empire it, it's the place to be if you're up and coming and the Romans weren't daft they knew that one way you subdue an empire was to make it wealthy comfortable so that it wouldn't object. So Thessalonica was a free city. What does that mean? Well, it means that it was allowed self-rule and exempt from most of the restrictions placed upon it by Rome that was placed upon other cities. So there were less restrictions here, for example, than there would have been in Jerusalem. The Romans weren't daft. They knew how to conquer However, that brought a challenge. And one of the things that brought was that the city was allowed religious freedom. And so all of these people from the whole of the length of this Orient route came to Thessalonica. And pagan religion was quite epidemic, actually. Many different sorts of religion. It was against that, against this international, cultural, paganistic society... That these young Christians grew in faith, and it's that church that Paul writes to, because this significantly grew, a number of new Christians will be challenged constantly to change. How? Things will go easier for you. Society will think more about you. You'll make more converts if you adopt some of these pagan practices. Make it easier for people to become a Christian, dear Christian. If you accommodate, then quite frankly, you'll thrive. It's against that background that Paul writes this letter. And we're going to learn that he says, no. The answer is to stand strong in the faith. Because he writes the letter reminding them that just as God uses people to bring people to him to spread the gospel to the lost, so he wants to use this young church to mature, to grow up, and to spread the gospel even the more. Paul says, listen, here's the deal. This church was born through the faithful preaching of the apostles. But now you need to stand. For gospel truth. And as you heard last week, this church stood strong in the face of persecution. In our culture today, friends, we need to be as welcoming as possible, don't mean to everyone. But we must not neglect standing on gospel truth. Welcoming and accommodating, yes, but friends, this is the truth of the gospel. We're not going to throw it out. Now I realise this is my own bit of summary on what's happened to the church in the Western world and you can disagree with me. That's okay, you're allowed. But I believe that some churches have become so culturally relevant that they're no longer gospel truth. Why? Why? What's happening? It grieves my heart as a minister to listen to a... ministers of other churches not in my head where what's happened is that morning attendances have dwindled and in order to survive either as an individual church or as a denomination they've assumed that it's the gospel truth that needs to be changed rather than that seeing the truth which is it's, it's the church that needs to change so the truth of the matter is the gospel truth is the right bit if it's against you, you're the wrong bit. That's the truth of the gospel here. Now I've stood here and declared that we need to let God take the walls of the church down, don't I? Hallelujah to that fact. But if we let the walls of the church come down and we stand for nothing, then bringing the walls of the church down will be in vain. I Baptist Church. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. And I invite you to do the same. Because you may not believe it, but I believe mine head needs to hear the truth of the gospel just as much as Thessalonica did in Paul's day. And in these verses, Paul reminds this church of the ministry he has as he teaches and cares for this young church. And he gives us three pictures. They're beautiful pictures. Thank you, Stephen. A picture of a faithful servant or a faithful steward. You know, a steward owns nothing in biblical terms, but possesses and uses everything that belongs to his master. This is Genesis 36. Sorry, it's in small type, but I wanted to try and get it on one screen, and I realize now how small it is. It's the story of Joseph. This is what Genesis 39 says. It's the image of servanthood that Jesus has, stewardship rather, that Jesus has on his heart. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Can you see the image of stewardship that Jesus has got in his mind? Joseph, the steward, master of the household of Potiphar, managing the affairs, using all the master's goods to promote his master's welfare and Jesus has got that in mind when he says some words in Luke chapter 16 thank you Steve, verses 1 to 2 about how every day each of us will one day give an account of his stewardship Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions so he called him and asked what is this I hear about you give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer you and I are called to be faithful stewards of the gospel not our gospel but the gospel of Jesus Christ not our sense of what it is but what scripture says it is this in case you didn't realise is the greatest treasure ever given to man I used to spend hours on a motorway. I used to love it in many ways. It was time I could put the radio on. This is before the days of mobile phones, just to let you know. No one could get me, put the radio on, off off I'd go. I worked out the other day with Lorraine that we think uh, during my time uh, working before I became a minister, I drove something like 1.2 million miles, which kind of amazed me. But but that aside, one of my favourite programmes, Desert Island Discs. Who's a Radio 4 fan? There are a few of us. Hallelujah. I think Stephen is at the back or he's adjusting the camera, one of the two. (laughs) But Desert Island Discs. So what happens on Desert Island Discs? You take these ten records and you take what? What do they give you? A Bible and another book. See, the truth of the matter is, the Bible is so important that you cannot take it with you. You cannot not take it with you, rather, if you go onto a desert island you and i are called to be faithful stewards of that gospel we must not bury it we must invest in it so it multiplies brings spiritual dividends and if we are to be faithful servants in this world then we need to acknowledge something and it's quite powerful and it's quite important The world says that the most important things in life are power, wealth, and popularity. Scripture says nothing of the sort. Paul says this about faithful stewards. Thank you, Stephen. 1 Corinthians 4, 1-2. This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Or to put it another way, faithfulness is the most important quality a steward will possess. You may not become popular in the eyes of humanity, and neither might I be, but we dare not be unfaithful. In the eyes of God. Christianity is not a popularity contest. The Christian who plays to the grandstands. Loses God's approval. Don't believe me? Well look at the following then. This is the sort of way Paul is. First of all, what about the manner of Paul's ministry? Verses 1-2 to tell us that. Paul and Silas had been beaten and humiliated at Philippi. Yet they came to Thessalonica and they preached. What about you and I? What would happen if we were beaten like they were? What would our response be? Need a holiday. Paul didn't do that at all. He didn't find an excuse. He was courageous. He wasn't a quitter. He kept doing what the Lord had asked him to do. What about you and I? It's one of the reasons that life is so tough is because we've given up on what the Lord asks us. What about the message of his ministry? Verse 2, the first part of verse 3 actually, chapter 2. Here Paul assures them that his message was true. Paul received the gospel from God, not from man. It may be wonderful that we think our intelligence can save us, but it won't. Only the good news of Jesus Christ saves. Nothing else does. Thirdly, what about the motive? The second part of that third verse. He was not guilty of uncleanliness or some such word, your Bible will say, for his motives were pure. You know, it's possible to preach the right message with the wrong motive. Did you know that? Unfortunately, people do it today. For example, there are people out there that use religion as a way of making money. It's quite common, actually. Look across some of the things on the TV. What was Paul's motive for writing? Well, (laughs) that in the midst of persecution, this church might grow, not for its sake, but for Christ's sake. He wasn't motivated by numbers, so the church might grow that way. But he was motivated by the numbers of people that would be saved. I stunned the minister in this chap in this town, just to let you know, just for a went on holiday, because he said, What are you praying for? I said, That many will be saved. And he went, Oh, the Baptist church be filled. And I said, No, brother, my prayer is that your church will be filled. That's a prayer. Lord, may this church be filled. Because people are being saved and flocking there, and hallelujah, there is no such thing as a Baptist in heaven. Did you know that? <laughs> Did you know one thing, stunning, I'm going to go now, out into the cold and the wet, because God isn't Baptist, did you know that? God's God. But actually, what's Paul's motivation, I don't know about yours, but mine is to pray that the lost will be saved. What about us? Is it to save the lost? Is that why we want the walls down? Now, years ago, before I came here, I was touched when following a financial appeal at church. someone came up to me. And they said they'd been thinking about the problem and they decided that God had told them how this was going to be solved. And that despite the financial difficulties, what we needed to do was spread the gospel throughout the town. You know, maybe if this is just me, please pray for me. But there was a little bit of, wow, pride. Wow, they got it. Until they said this. We need more people because the more of us there are, the less of a financial burden this church will be on those of us that were there originally. Clear to see their motive. What about yours? Then look at the method of his ministry. Paul didn't use guile or trickery to win converts. The word guile, incidentally, if that's the word that's in your version of scripture, it carries the idea of baiting a hook. Like a fisherman might bait a hook to get a fish. okay? Paul didn't trap people into being saved the way that clever salesmen might trap people into buying product. Paul was straight about everyone's need for the gospel and honest about its cost. So you've got this concept of a faithful servant and then Paul moves on in verses 7 to 8 to the loving mother. And the emphasis on a steward is faithfulness. The emphasis of a mother is gentleness. As an, as an apostle, rather, Paul was a man of authority, but he always used authority in love. He's writing to this church. He's nurturing them. He's caring for them like a loving mother. Now, you may not have been, I am sure everyone here was a much, if you've been a parent, you're a much better parent than me. I am convinced of it, Okay. The reason I'm convinced of it is because, crikey, when my son was going up, how much energy did that take? I didn't find it natural at all, and you may well have done, but I didn't. It's took great energy to kind of care for him. Paul acknowledges that reality here, doesn't he? He's prepared to make sacrifices to care for them himself, to have patience with these new converts. Paul nourished them. An alternate reading of verse 7 could be this. Even as a nursing mother cherished her own children. Beautiful image that Paul's talking about. And that's exactly what he writes in verse 8. You can't be a nursing mother and turn your baby over to someone else. The babe must be in your arms next to your heart. That's what mothers do. They make sacrifices, they have patience, they give nourishment, and they protect. Remember the story of Solomon, 1 Kings 3? The two women come and they say, the baby's mine. The dead one's hers. Remember that story? How does Solomon resolve it? He says to one of his pages, one of his stewards, go get me a knife and I'll cut the baby in half. And one woman says, no, 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 don't do that. Give the baby to her. So at that point that Solomon knows who the the child's mother is, the one that said, I'll even give up the right of being a mother for my child. And he knows that that's the woman whose baby this truly is. One of the problems with the church in the Western world is that we're caught up in a Western cultural view. Our rights are the most important thing there, there is. And we're simply not prepared to give them up for the sake of the gospel. I've got to tell you the truth, that's not scriptural at all. Did make me wonder how many pastors over the years have had conversations with someone who tells them what's wrong with the pastor, with the church, and then discovered that what's most concerning this individual is their own rights. Did make me wonder. Because the hard truth is, but let's deal with the hard truth the gospel of Jesus Christ calls you to give up all. Your rights for the sake of the one that saved you. You and I have no rights at all. After all, didn't he buy you with a great price? Now if you follow the program, Leaflet, you'll know that the title this morning is Helping the Baby to Grow Up. And if we want to grow up, then we need to stop acting like children Demanding our rights, our ways, and start to mature for the sake of the gospel and lay down our rights for the sake of the gospel. In a while, we're going to pray that. I'm going to invite you to lay your, your rights down between you and your Lord's stuff. And lastly, and briefly, there is this picture of a concerned father. Paul's life, it, we leave, is amazing. He's got this sort of spiritual life. He's father in churches. This is what verses 9 to 12 say about him. It says his life was holy. In the Greek, I can do Greek, this means to carefully fulfill the duties God gives to a person. Paul does that. The word in English that's closest to us, to that, is pious. But piety at its best, not the sort of fault. False, fake, religious piety. Paul's life was also righteous. Integrity, uprightness of character and behavior. Paul's life was blameless. The Greek word here literally means not able to find fault in. His enemies might accuse him, but no one could level any charge against Paul and prove it. Wow. So how does Paul help this church grow up? encourages new believers. encourages them. That's what a father does with his children. Did you know children are easily discouraged? It was once my heartbreak as a minister years ago was to have a child on a Sunday morning crying in church. And I approached this little boy and said, what's the matter? Thinking if I'm being honest that something about church must be wrong. And he said, it's my dad. And as as a pastor your heart skips a beat in those moments because you don't know what's coming next he said my dad took my picture down off the off of the, the fridge and used it to start the fire it wasn't quite what had happened and luckily the dad the father came and said no 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 i've put it to one side you just saw me lighting the fire with some paper and the little boy was off and happy again but you get the drift don't you Young children can be discouraged, is not it? Just to let you know, that little boy is, is uh, shocking blonde hair, very good-looking, sort of, model little boy. Butter would melt in his mouth, yet it would. You know the sort of little boy I'm talking about. So he encourages them, and then he urges them. He encourages, and he urges. Now, some words, yeah, would, some... Um, bibles here would use the word comforted them okay he comforted them but he also urged them what does it mean to urge in scripture some versions use the word some versions of scripture use the word charged it means that paul testified to them of his own experience with the lord sometimes we need to go through difficulties in order to share with others what the lord has done That's it really. May I have spoken of the name of Jesus. But I just want to leave you by encouraging you because this passage gives a beautiful example of the New Testament. A so-called passage of New Testament follow-up. You're going to say, what the heck does that mean? It's where Paul is writing where he's previously been. He wants to encourage them, follow up with them. We must be faithful stewards, loving mothers and concerned fathers. If we're not faithful to God, faithful to the truth of the gospel, we may find ourselves becoming doting mothers, pampering fathers. Bluntly, we all know children need discipline as well as love. Proper discipline, but they do need it. Friends, no wonder the church at Thessalonica prospered in spite of persecution. Because we already heard in chapter 1 that it had been born right And in chapter 2, we hear it's been nurtured right. What a great example to follow as we ask the Lord to take the walls of this church down. Amen. Friends, let's pray. Father God, this morning I acknowledge a reality. I want to lay down my own rights, my own ways. Father, I want to mature for the sake of the gospel. That means giving everything over to you. This is a moment between you and your Lord, a quiet moment for you to reflect, pray to him, bring yourself before him. Your time, With your Father God. As you come before your Lord. I want to end this short time of prayer. With the words. Of the prayer I started with. If they're yours, just say our men in your heart, to the one who knows your heart. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and mind, over every stronghold, for him to break chains that bind, for him to bring light into darkness, for him to breathe life into death and decay. In Jesus' name, Amen.
2: As we continue our worship, I um, just feel I should share a, a, a beautiful picture that God gave me um, a few weeks ago. <coughs> it was of the Father's love, and um, I've kind of weighed it, you know, whether I should bring it and share it, but it just seems so in fitting with the reading and with what Paul was saying. And um, basically, I was. Um, I saw a young father carrying a very small ba- young baby. And he was carrying it down into the, a swimming pool. And as he carried, went lower and lower into the water, carrying it, I looked on, waiting for the screams. I looked on, waiting for the cries as they went deeper and deeper into the water. But to my surprise... No screams came, not even a whimper. And as I looked closer, the father's arms were so closely entwined around this tiny little baby's body, it just reminded me of the father's love, that um, there was no fear. And the baby was completely secure in the father's arms. And uh, I, I just, you know, maybe someone just needs to, to feel God's arms around them today, you know, lifting, lifting those burdens of anxiety and, and uh, sadness and uh, depression. I pray that we will all know those Father's arms tightly around us with, without that fear and completely secure in his love. So we're going to sing a, a beautiful song. Um, feel free to sit or stand.
1: Not too fanciful to imagine Paul, who was a good scholar, good uh, Hebrew scholar, as he thought of this church in Thessalonica. To think of him praying that amazing blessing that we find in the book of Numbers. So I prayed over you today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift His face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name.
0: Amen. To leave a comment, please go to mindhead-baptist.com/slash sermons. Well, thank you once again for listening, and I'll speak to you soon.